0: Me tell you a story. You may not believe me. I barely believe it myself. But I can't dispute what my soul knows. Peter, John. It's all true. Come see this! Everything he said. The tomb! Every impossible detail. It's empty! It's all true. There may be days when we deny. I don't know him. When our faith loses its footing. You have me confused. I don't know him. And we stumble along our way. I said I don't know him! been found, (laughs) what has been defeated, what has been forgiven, (laughs) what was once dead has new life. What was once old has been made new. What was once finite has been made eternal. May we remember and follow the risen way. Christ is risen. Amen. And that tomb is empty, and we are here today to celebrate that very idea. The idea that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is risen from the grave. He is the Son of God, and He will promise great life to you. He will give you hope in hopelessness, He will repair all relationships. And in the end, we follow him. We come here today to celebrate that risen Savior as the family of God. And I'm so glad that you've done that today. We want to welcome our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us. And our hope is uh, that you have seen Jesus Christ in our midst as we have sung songs of praise together, as we've gathered around the Lord's table together, as we'll dig into the word of God in just a few moments to rediscover the story that happened 2,000 years ago and discover that we too are part of the story. If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 20. We'll be there in just a few minutes. Our text will be on the screen uh, as well. We're ending up our series today that we've been in for some time now called Rewrite. What does the idea of rewrite mean? Well, it's the idea that Jesus Christ is rewriting and has rewritten your story. That you no longer have to live in the world. That you no longer have to be held back uh, by the chains of your past. That whatever mistakes you've made in the past have been forgiven and indeed we celebrate uh, that leaving behind and lean into the story that Jesus Christ is rewriting for you. And we want to continue that today as we look into that empty tomb, that empty grave. Now next week you'll want to be here as well as we kick off a brand new series about the grace of God. And you'll want to be here for that four weeks that we'll dig into understanding what is grace and how does it affect your life. How can I be made whole through the grace of God? And we'll kick that off, as I said, next week, so be here for that. Today I want to take a look at the idea of hope in hopelessness. My guess is that you've found yourself in your own life in places that have seemed hopeless before, places where you feel like you painted yourself into a corner and maybe things weren't going to turn out like you had hoped they would. I remember when I was a junior in high school playing football for a uh, uh, high school in in Arkansas uh, we started out the season we were unranked unknown in the state uh, and by the end of the season we were nine and one and ranked in the top 10 uh, in the state we had been beaten by our arch rival the Boonville Bearcats purple and gold I mean what team is purple and gold anyway sorry TCU I know you're purple but We had no idea at the beginning of the season this was going to work out this way. We were hopeless. We were going to get out there and play football, work hard, but we had no idea we'd end up at the state playoffs. And that's exactly where we found ourselves when the regular season was over. And who do we draw as the first team to play? The Boonville Bearcats. The only team that beat us all season long, and they beat us by three touchdowns. It was a difficult pill to swallow after we had won, and we were nine and one. But we got psyched up, we decided, you know this may seem like a hopeless case, we're going to head to the state playoffs, play them on their field, And so we got ready for the event. Half time at that playoff game, we were ahead, seven to nothing, and you could have heard a pin drop in that stadium. What? This spoiler team thinks they're going to come in here and end our season, the first game? We got our pep talk at halftime and we came back out and uh, Boonville scored as well in that second half and so at the end of the regular time it was seven to seven going into overtime. This is an epic playoff game. The, uh, The Boonville Bearcats got the ball first and they marched it into the end zone for a touchdown and it was our turn and so we took Four downs to get close to the end zone. And on that fourth down, our quarterback threw the ball to a guy by the name of David James. And the ball hit him in the hands and he dropped it. Yeah, we didn't go any further than that. Our, our hopes had been crushed. It was hopeless at that point. And if you have filled out a, a basketball tournament bracket for this season, NCAA tournament, you probably have felt hopeless too. I mean, what 16 seed team beats a number one team? You just tore it up and threw it away. If you're like me, that's exactly what's happened. And you just enjoy the games from then on. But my guess is in your own life, you've had some hopeless moments. Some moments that are way more important than any sporting event or bracketology. You've had moments in your life where you felt you needed some hope. Maybe it was a, a moment in time where you sat beside the bed of a loved one in a hospital and you wondered, are they ever going to get better? Are we ever going to leave this place? A hopeless moment where maybe you sat across the desk from a doctor and they gave you some diagnosis for what you were dealing with and would there ever be any recovery. Maybe a hopeless moment where you saw your adult children walking away from a relationship with you. You wished it was not like that, but that is exactly what's going on. A hopeless moment When maybe you and your spouse sat down at the dining room table to talk about how we're going to divide everything up in the divorce. You've had those tough moments where you have felt painted into a corner, a moment of of loss and grief, and you wondered, how is God going to make this any better? How could I possibly move forward in this moment in my life? And if you've ever felt like that, let me tell you, you are not alone. You're not alone some 2000 years ago the disciples who who had followed Jesus men and women alike saw their savior nailed to a tree and on that friday they thought game over we've painted ourselves in a corner there is no hope we thought he was the messiah we thought he was the chosen one the anointed one and yet we are putting him in the grave on this Friday. And when he died, their hope died with them. But then he came back and he brought hope back with him because he was the risen Savior, the one who can make all things new in every single life. And as we dig into John chapter 20 this morning, we want to discover that when Jesus comes on the scene, he restores hope. Indeed, Jesus changes everything. Does he not, church? He changes everything, and as he gave hope to those in his story 2,000 years ago, today he gives hope to you and to me as well. And what we discover along the way is that hope shows up in a place Of grief. There have been moments in your life where you have grieved the moment, where you have worried and been anxious, where tears have been shed. And in that moment, Jesus is on the scene. In John chapter 20, the text opens up by saying, Early on Sunday morning, the women were on the way to the cemetery to the tomb where Jesus had been laid. You see, it was the Sabbath on Friday coming quickly, and so they just had to put him in a tomb. They didn't really have time to prepare his body for burial, and so they were on the way back early in the morning. It was dusk. Things could just be made out on the roadside. There was fog in the air, and they were carrying all the the spices and oils that they would need to take care of Jesus' body before they wrapped him permanently and put him in the tomb. Only, only this day was, was a little different. They got to the tomb, to the cemetery, and in the distance they saw, wait, something's not right because the stone was not there on Friday. It's been moved. And so they rush to the entrance of the tomb and they look in to see that Jesus' body is no longer there either. And the women cry and, and they panic. They wonder what they're to do. And Mary goes back to tell the disciples and she finds Peter and John, and tells them the story, and they are in disbelief, and so they run back to the tomb to discover that Mary's story is absolutely true. John holds back, but Peter goes inside to discover that there is no more body, that the linens are there, but Jesus is no longer, and little do they know that Jesus has risen. Satan has been foiled yet again. When the disciples leave to go back and tell the other ten. But the women stay behind. This is where our story picks up in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, "Raboni." This is a moment where hope has been restored. I mean, Mary is distraught. She's sad. The tears are flowing. She doesn't even recognize who Jesus is in the moment. She is so brokenhearted. And we don't usually ask a question like this at a cemetery, why are you crying? You see, when we lose someone or something we care deeply for, there is always grief. There's always sadness. There's always a heavy heart. But the story reminds us that Jesus meets us in the place of anxiety, that, that he meets us where you are in your sadness, in your loneliness. Indeed, the apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And God does care about you. He sent his son for you. You see, God is, is more than just a powerful God. He, he is a personal God who cares deeply about what is happening in your life. And he will express the same care and concern for you that he did Mary at the tomb. He wants to know what is troubling you, what is heavy on your heart, what are the anxious points of your life. Maybe for you, it's recently sitting in that hospital room talking with a loved one who's about to pass. Maybe for you, it's, it's that medical report that says you've got cancer. Maybe for you, it's sitting down at the boss's desk to realize that you've just been let go and all your dreams and hopes of a job and a career are gone as well. Maybe for you, it's it's the idea of seeing your adult children make poor life decisions. And in doing so, you see the rift that continues to happen between you and your kids. Maybe it's the loss of a, a deep abiding relationship that you've had with a friend for a long time. But whatever is going on in that relationship has pulled you two apart. But see, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we have hope. The apostle Peter, Paul rather, tells us as he writes to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says we don't grieve as people who have no hope because we do have a hope and it is Jesus Christ. He is risen from the dead and he can make all things new. A few weeks ago, we traveled through the book of First Peter, discovering that, hey, this is not our home, the things that are happening here in your life. This is not our home, that we are headed to our hope and our home that Jesus Christ prepares for us. And even though there are moments in your life where there is grief and sadness, know that Jesus comes to you in that moment and puts his arm around you. But hope also shows up in a place of fear. I mean, you think about the disciples who are, who are now wondering what to do since their Lord and their Savior, their friend, is gone. On that resurrection Sunday, the disciples are meeting in a room behind locked doors. I mean, the last few months, the few times that they have been together out in public over the last three years, the disciples can be recognized. People know that you are the guys who hung out with this so-called Messiah who now has been crucified. And if they killed Jesus, they can kill us as well. And the disciples hesitate and jump at every knock at the door, realizing that the next knock might be someone in authority who stands outside with a cross with their name on it. And so our story continues in verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine that moment in time? You are mourning that your friend, that your Savior, the Messiah, has been killed. You saw it happen on Friday, and yet, there he stands in your presence, talking to you, excited to see you. Can you imagine the tears of sadness turning to tears of joy, realizing that the king has risen? I mean, locked doors are no barrier for someone who just robbed his own grave. (laughs) Jesus stands before his followers, Alive and vibrant. The transformation in his disciples must have been tangible and incredible. They were huddled in fear in this locked room, but these are the same disciples who will eventually change the entire world. Fear was replaced by hope in a resurrected Savior they will end up being martyred for that resurrected Savior. Now, let's face it, church. We all have fear. We have things that we are afraid of. You think about those irrational fears that you had when you were a, a young kiddo, whatever was in the closet, you, you were worried about that. Keep the lamp on. What kind of boogeyman is underneath the bed? And you dare not sleep with your leg outside the cover because the you know, the monster's going to get you then for sure. Got to have everything under the cover. And then we leave that adolescent stage and move into adulthood and the fears don't go away. They just change. They become different. There are some 700 phobias that have been labeled in the world. I mean, Cale himself is scared of, of birds. <laughs> now, to be transparent, I am also a little afraid of Dogs. But there are other folks who are scared of heights. They're scared of crowds. They are afraid of public speaking, afraid of spiders and snakes. I mean, think about Indiana Jones snakes. Why does it always have to be snakes? (laughs) You've seen those movies. Maybe for you, it's a fear of moving into a new job. Maybe it's the fear of moving to a new town or a different location in town. Maybe for you, it's the fear of creating new relationships in in a different neighborhood or a workplace. But one of the strongest fears that we have as created beings is the fear of death or the fear of the unknown. I mean, what lies beyond the life that we live right here? What is on the, the other side? You see, God put within us An innate ability to survive, a desire to survive. Because at the end of the day, we really can't control those things that are coming in the future. The disciples are hiding in a room because of their fear, not being able to control what is going to happen next. And you and I have been there before, and we'll be there again, afraid of the loss of control. So the doctor gives you that health scare and you think, okay, if I just change my diet a little bit, if I cut down on the donuts, if I run a little bit more, if I drive a little slower, things will come back into play. I can fix this. I can control this. Or you think about that relationship that you're having a difficult time in. If I just do this thing or I say this particular thing or bring these types of flowers or get off work a little bit early and you and I try to manipulate and control those relationships. When you have fear of any kind, church, what I want you to remember is Easter Sunday. Because although we control nothing, we serve a risen Savior who controls everything. He is in control. And while we may not know His schedule or His plan when we are found in Him, we are part of what He does control. And we wanna be in that place of peace. What are the first words that he says to disciples when he comes into that locked room? Peace be with you. And wherever you find yourself right now, Jesus Christ wants to offer you peace in your fearful moment. Whatever you're struggling with, wherever you find yourself. He does that for us in our lives when we decide to surrender to him and say, you indeed are our King and Lord. And I want to be a part of the story that you are creating. But hope also shows up when there is doubt. When you're not sure about what is going on in life, when you question about what is happening, there are those moments when we doubt. And our story continues in verses 24 and 25. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound of his side. And we look and laugh and point fingers at Thomas, but the truth is you and I doubt at times as well. Thomas is simply being honest, and I want you to know this morning, it's okay to be honest honest about your doubts sometimes we come into a church environment like this and we put our mask on and we smile and we say everything is going great everything's happy clappy it's kumbaya but the reality is most of us are dealing with fear and doubt and we are grieving about something it wasn't that thomas didn't want to believe he just needed some evidence for himself And the writer John Drummond says, Christ always distinguishes between doubt and unbelief. Doubt, doubt is where you can't believe and unbelief is where you won't believe. Many of you last year probably saw the movie, The Case for Christ, the story of Lee Strobel. Lee was an atheist married to a Christian And as a journalist, he wanted to discover and show his wife that Christ was not real. The resurrection did not happen, that indeed he was not the son of God. And so for many, many months, he researched and he interviewed. And at the end of the day, Lee became a Christian because he could not disprove the fact that you and I know that the son of God was crucified for you and I, and the tomb was empty on Sunday. And because of that, you and I get to live a glorious, beautiful life in Christ Jesus. God says through his prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, he says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And so the challenge this morning, church, is that you and I would look wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ. That we would ask him into our life. That we would say, Jesus, make all things new for me. Because I know you are in control. The final part of our story begins in verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing with them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Now the disciples were in the room with Jesus. They physically saw him. They touched the wounds. And Jesus commends them for their belief But Jesus speaks to us this morning. He calls you blessed because you believe and have not seen. Now the word that Jesus uses here is one that means supernaturally favored. Church, you are loved by God the Father. Jesus Christ died for you. You are supernaturally favored. You are blessed beyond measure. Jesus can conquer anything in your life. He can do anything, whether you're dealing with grief, sadness, loneliness, loss, anxiety, whatever might be happening in your life, Jesus Christ wants to be your Lord and Savior. He wants to pull alongside you in your story Put an arm around you and remind you that you are not alone. You see, Jesus didn't just come to conquer the grave. No, he he came to bring life where there is death. He he came to bring light where there is darkness. He he came to bring a non-guilty verdict to those of us who are guilty. He came to bring life to us, church. He wants to make all things new in your life. He wants to rewrite your story. And so this morning, church, as we lean into the story of Jesus Christ and that empty tomb, the question remains for you and for me, will we let him rewrite our story? Will we lean into what he is doing in the world and in us so that we can indeed have peace and joy and love? It's a way better script than the world is writing, I'll promise you that. And so this morning, as we call the praise team back to the stage, the challenge is for you this morning that you will lean into the story of Jesus Christ, that maybe right where you stand as we sing this song in a few moments, you will make a recommitment in your heart to who Jesus Christ is to you and to follow him even closer than you ever have before. As uh, we sing this song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered around the wall of this room. And and I want to encourage you as we sing... Maybe you need a prayer in your life. Maybe you need some encouraging words. And I would encourage you to go see one of our shepherds. Let them pray over you, lay hands on you, and remind you that you are loved beyond measure by God Almighty. That his son Jesus Christ paid the price for whatever every guilt and sin is in your life. And you can be whole and have peace yet again. Or maybe today is the day that you publicly say, I want to celebrate Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today's the day I want to be baptized into his name. I know right now we've got two that are going to be baptized after our service this morning, and praise God for that. That's right. And so while someone is already wet, get in the baptistry with them. Don't leave here without making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. He will change your life. Let's stand and sing about it now.